Hello, my name is Hazan Sorrells, and this is the Leadership Lessons from the Great Books podcast bonus. There is no book reading on bonus episodes. These are interviews, rants, raves, insights, and other audio musings and conversations about leadership with interesting guests or just with myself. Because listening to me and an interesting guest talk about leadership for at least a couple of hours is better than trying to read and understand yet another business book. The business of leadership development is changing and shifting and metamorphosizing right underneath your feet right now as you listen to this. Now, this may seem like a little inside baseball, but there are these seismic shifts that are happening in how people absorb and integrate leadership information, insights, and innovation from how they did it in the long and drawn out 20th century. Here's a very brief history for you, a little bit of how we got here, in case you're not really thinking too hard about this. Starting with Dale Carnegie and Norman Vincent Peale in the mid-1950s in America, the field of leadership development sought to combine the best of religious language, and because we are Americans and we are founded by Puritans, it is fundamentally religious language at the bottom of it, and of course, psychological fervor, with the best of Frederick Winslow Taylor's insights from the field of scientific management, which came directly out of Darwin, uh, from the 1920s to the 1950s, leadership development really began uh, to be seeded in that space and really began to grow. This attempt to grow an understanding of how a person moves from being a mere manager and supervisor to being a leader led to the rise of names you know that when I say them will tickle the back of your head. Uh, and some of those are already on the Mount Rushmore of leadership development and thinking, such as Zig Ziglar, uh, Les Brown, and many, many other folks. Then, through the 1980s, the trending continued with names like John Maxwell, who seems to have a book out every time you turn around, and of course the large-handed Tony Robbins and his absolute legion of acolytes. By the way, they are everywhere. I can name names you know, and they've either engaged with Tony Robinson or been to some of his trainings or are selling some of his ideas. And now, 30 years after the end of the Industrial Revolution, the internet has allowed niche voices and niche insights to appear in the world of leadership development, like mine and the guests today. This has led academic researchers like Brene Brown, or this has led to academic researchers in the space of leadership development and organizational behavior, like Brene Brown, um, in at least the casual leadership development consumer's mind, to be lumped in with Navy SEAL folks like Jocko Willink, and, um, <laughs> and all the way down, down, the, down, down, the, down the aisle there, Joe Rogan. <laughs> and just as Baskin Robbins promised back in the day that they would deliver you 36 flavors of ice cream, well, there are now an infinite number of flavors for your every leadership style and approach. Welcome to the long tail capturing leadership development. By the way, it, this also includes the topics of organizational behavior, conflict management, um, anything having to do with navigating scientifically and of course religiously the relations between people at work gets lumped into that space and any of those thought leaders and practitioners get lumped into that space now 
And yet, there's very little innovative, real, actionable wisdom in the field of leadership development. Side pause here. I did just see a post even today on LinkedIn from somebody who I know in the leadership development field, I won't say his name, but lamenting the fact that we are too people-centric and too fuzzy-wuzzy in our focus and not focused enough on protocols, process, and of course, procedures, because quite frankly, in his position and from his position where he stands and in his opinion, at work, people just want to work. Okay. So because there's very little solid ground in the field of leadership development, because we all know leadership, we all know what leadership looks like um, when it's happening. It's kind of like pornography. We recognize it when we see it and we recognize it when we don't see it. When a person comes along and tries to add real wisdom to the conversation, doing it out on the long tail of the internet, it becomes incumbent upon us on the podcast to bring them on and talk to them because that's what you do when you're out on the long tail. You find other people hanging out there who are doing pretty much the same thing you are. And so we've invited the host of the Leadership School podcast, consultant and coach, Kyla, Kyla Kofer. Hmm, I almost screwed that name up again. <laughs> you got it. You're good. Today, and we're going to geek out a little bit um, about leadership, um, about the future of leadership, of the leadership advice business, you know, structure, and many other inside baseball topics. So if you're a person who typically consumes this podcast to get leadership advice, we're going to kind of peel back the layers a little bit and kind of let you know what's going on here. Maybe not necessarily inside of us, but inside of the leadership development field and what has led us to doing the work that we are doing. Uh, this is going to be kind of like chef's table, but for leadership. And if you've ever watched that Netflix show, you'll know what I'm talking about. Or comedians in cars getting coffee. So, except I don't have a car, I just have a Zoom, and I'm not Jerry Seinfeld. So, welcome to the podcast, Kyla. How are you doing today? After that rousing open, how are you doing today? Thanks, Hazan. I'm actually doing really well today. Thank you for asking. And I'm thinking about that show. I haven't watched it in forever, the comedians in cars getting coffee. It was a good show. I enjoyed watching it. I am obsessed with Jerry Seinfeld in a and in, in not in a, a, a not in a weird kind of I'm going to stalk you kind of way. This is not that, but I have given that man a lot of my money. Um, I have given that man a lot of my attention. Um, I have bought that man's books. I do think the guy's funny, and I thought the show was amazing. It's amazing the concept of that, and I do kind of lump it in with that sort of chef's table kind of show where uh, when you watch it. You're hearing comedians talk about how the sausage is made. And I think that in our time, because of the ubiquitousness of the internet, because you can now understand fully and completely that there is no secret sauce, there's just, you know, people doing stuff, there's no reason to hide. And so now we can all show it. Like from, com from comedy to cooking, we can show you how the thing is made. And there is an audience for that. So we're going we're gonna to do a little bit of that on the podcast today. So I've kind of introduced you, but why don't you tell us all in your own words, because who else's words would you use but yours? Who are you and what do you do? Uh, well, let's see. How 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 generic and specific is that? Who are you? Question, Hazan. 
Um, well, uh, professionally, I am a leadership coach and consultant. Um, I have my own podcast, as you mentioned, the leadership school, where I'm interviewing guests from around the world on uh, leadership topics, expertise, um, conversations. And I do keynote speaking. I do a lot of speaking on, uh, burnout, self-care, um, burnout prevention, self-care, because it is my firm belief. I, I come from kind of a nonprofit background. I've spent a lot of time in nonprofits and I have just seen over and over how easy it is to get into a mindset of other people need me. So I have to give everything all the time to other people and, um, with at the expense of myself. And so I have learned that that is not leadership and that is not healthy because guess what? I've done that. <laughs> so through, you know, trial and error, I've learned some things, you know, and with a background in um, coaching, human services, social work, kind of um, psychology fields, uh, it just has really become important to me to share this message of caring for yourself um, in order to lead effectively and lead well, and to be able to lead for the long term. So I do that through speaking, coaching, um, through my podcast, and then um, the consulting I do as as well a little bit. That's actually kind of more of a side separate thing, but um, I for leadership, those are the topics that I tend to focus on. Okay, so let's pull that apart a little bit. So if I am in a Fortune 5,000 company or Fortune 10,000 company, one of the many small businesses that are in the United States, 60% uh, of employees still work for small businesses, even post-COVID. The vast majority of us do not work for large enterprises. The vast majority of us work for, you know, 50-person and below shops, right? Mm -hmm. Providing all kinds of services, um, sometimes remotely, um, a little bit before the pandemic, but more now, um, and across verticals from manufacturing to healthcare, some roles we are in are in businesses that provide direct services to um, to communities, um, but also provide direct services to consumers or provide mm -hmm. direct services to businesses. Big, broad, you know, base there for a question here. If you are approaching a person who works in the Fortune 5000, who is from their perspective, being driven by profit and has all this stuff, you know, being thrown at them and you come from a nonprofit background, um, what can you tell them as a leader that would be helpful for them today? Or, or just even, even right now, you know, in the times that we are in, in, you know, August of 2022. Well, you know, I guess it depends on what you're looking, that person's looking for specifically. Um, mm -hmm. if they're just looking for a way to improve their profit and how working with me can help and, and hiring a leadership coach or focusing in on your leadership can help improve that goal of growing the business. Um, <laughs> leadership means that people are following you. So when you're in a leadership role, people are following what you're doing. That, that is the definition of leadership in my mind. So if you are looking to grow profit, you have to lead the people that direction. And so as a leader, you're trying to tell people and bring people in together on this story and craft a story that makes people excited and want to be part of it and join and buy your product and buy from you and spend money and give you all their money. Right. So to do that, people like to be invited into these compelling stories. So to do that, you need to find out what is the compelling story that's that you're bringing people into and how are you going to lead them well towards that goal. And so I think that it's really, really crucial to, you know, there's this whole people first movement to say what, 
let's look at people first. What does that mean to you? What does that look like to you? What does that look like in your company? How are you caring for your people? And coming from a wellness perspective, you know, if you want to grow your profits, you need to keep the people that you have and you need to have the right people in the right seats. Because if you're constantly turning over employees, then you're not having things like, um, I'm just blank on the word, the, the memory, institutional memory, you don't have institutional memory. You don't have processes that grow. You have processes that you're continuing to turn over and trying starting again. You're pouring thousands of dollars into one project, find it flop. And then five years later, the next employee wants to try it again. Cause they didn't know that it flopped, you know? So you're, you're spending all of these unnecessary resources on things that aren't going to work when instead, if you invested the first time into really finding out who you are, what your culture is, who are the people that are coming along to this story, really listening in and finding out what is it that we really care about here? That is when you can start to grow because you have people who want to be part of that with you. And you're slowly developing this natural organic, like, um, desire for people to be in it because so when you're, when you're looking at leading well, it's really starting with the listening, with the caring, with the story um, and the people. So, you know, that's that's a lot of different things. <laughs> so it's really like, what is it that you want to focus on? What is yeah. it that you're trying to grow as a in, in your leader? Where are your struggles, your pain points? What things are you doing well already and things that you aren't doing well? You know, I've worked with a company who had like all these different locations for their um, company and they had no systems and processes in place to manage anything. And so it was chaos all the time. It wasn't working for them. Yeah, people liked working there and they were paying a good wage, but um, nobody knew what was going on. And so it was really, really difficult. So now they're kind of getting some processes in place. And as they're getting those in place, they're, they're able to really grow um, and sustain. That's my big word, to sustain things um, because you have found a system that works. Do you find in your work, as I do, that when you go and talk to a client, um, unless they're above a certain size, like above a certain size, well, number one, a, a client can't grow to a certain size. No, 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 bad, bad way to start. Let's back that up. If I have a business. I'm glad I'm not the only one who does that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I do it in real time. I do it all the time on this podcast. <laughs> it's fine. And my other one too, it's fine. Uh, no, I think out loud. Um, if I am growing a business, I can only grow to a certain size on my own will. Usually the number is like 25 people, 25 to 50 people I can manage on my, under my own will without really having processes or procedures or protocols written down. I can kind of do catch as catch can because I'm there all the time. Um, nobody's really going too far um, away from those protocols and processes, and I'm constantly in a reactive mode. Okay. Past 50 people, 50 to 150, you got to develop processes. Um, but many organizations, many businesses never get past that 50-person 50 yeah, people are fine with that, by the way. Um, the, the weird spot we've wound up in now as a culture economically is you can have a 50-person enterprise that makes $10 million a year and be fine. You can mm -hmm. just be fine, you know, and you can – the average employee would call you successful. <laughs> Let's just frame it that mm -hmm. way if you're the owner. You may not be – you may not feel as though you're successful because you're only taking home out of that $10 bucks a year. Let's be real anywhere between 50000 and $100,000, you don't feel like you're wealthy, but of course, everybody else looks at the assets around you. And that creates another dynamic in the environment, which we, we don't need to talk about. 
But if you write down your protocol, your protocols, your processes, your procedures, and then you begin to ruthlessly focus on those, it feels as though, and I know this because I've talked to leaders in that space, it feels as though to many of those folks that they have to make a choice. They either have to focus on the humans or the protocols, but they cannot do both. But they have to do both is what you're saying, right? They have to weave both together in order to create a compelling story. That's really hard because we like binaries in our psychology. So how do we step, how do we guide people as coaches, consultants past that and help them avoid burnout and compassion fatigue? So a couple of different things. I remember my first interview out of college, I was on a plane to DC to go interview for this nonprofit. And um, the person sitting next to me was some businesswoman with a lot more experience than I did. I was like 22, you know, and um, 21. And she, she said, um, ask this question in your interview. What does success in this role look like to you? And I've never forgotten that I asked it in the interview, it got me a job and, uh, or at least it gave me confidence to help me get the job. But that question I think is a really great starting point for, um, everything that you were just saying, because sometimes how people are operating that might be successful to them. And I may be okay with that. And that's awesome. There's no need for me to come in as a coach and say, you should do this differently. I would never do that as a coach. As, as your coach, I'm going to come in and say, what does success look like to you? And then I'm going to support you and give you some resources on getting that success in the way that you want. And so if it's something that you want, you're going to have to make some choices. And that does not mean you're choosing, I'm pro choosing process over people. But if your goal is process, then you have to choose process over people. If your goal is people, then you choose the people over process. If your goal is somewhere else, then you do have to find a way to mingle the two. So it's really about what does that success look like to you? What does that goal mean to you? And then what are the steps that you need to take to get there? We're not, we don't ever show up in any type of company, organization, leadership role, and just say, um, I want more. You, you, you're not going to get anywhere. I want more tomorrow. Well, Good luck. High five. I wish you well. Like you can't do that. I said that recently to my husband about how I wanted to change something and he got so stressed and worried about it. And, and then I, I went and I said, this is like my five-year plan. And he goes, Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> and oh, he calmed down. Now. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I said, I'm not, I'm not doing this tomorrow. And he, he, and it was able to process it a little bit differently. This is your plan. Like this is, you start a business because you're hoping to get something out of it. Mm. So what are you hoping to get out of it? If you're hoping to make $20 million, change the world like um, uh, Sarah Blakely did with Spanx. You know, she was, I don't know what her main goal was, but she is this global company now and makes billions of dollars. And um, she, but she had some intentions in mind behind that and what she wanted to do. Now, does she have to neglect? Does anybody have to neglect caring for people in the process? never, but you're going to find people who want that same similar story as you do. Mm -hmm. So you don't, if you're trying to meet this goal, you're not going to bring in a person who could care, who just doesn't care about the goal because they're not going to help you move to that goal. And they're not going to be satisfied because you're going to always be pushing them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So well. it, it, it's finding that like, you know, I, I interviewed Mitch Gray on my podcast and he was, he's a hiring expert and he talked about that, mm -hmm. like about really having the people and it's about having the people in place to meet the culture and having mm -hmm. the culture in place to meet the people, you know, these things have to mix together. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the leadership school podcast. Cause I want to get into sort of the genesis of that a little bit, but how many people have you interviewed on that podcast so far? How many guests has you had so far? Oh, I counted it up like this week. I think it's, 
it's in the 30s okay okay 30 people so it's still growing it's in the second year and um i've only been well this year it's been um every other week guests um we started about in february it's just every other week last year i interviewed i don't know about 10 or 12 so this year it's really grown a lot more and then we're actually switching to weekly episodes um we started that already this month so Mm -hmm. um but guests are still only every other week okay okay so yeah, that you're, was a long answer. No, it's okay. You're filling up the pipeline. You're filling up the pipeline with content. Yeah. No, that's good. Um, so in these thirty conversations that you've had, um, what are you seeing over the course of the last couple of years through these thirty conversations as far as what's happening on the ground floor? Because um, I laid out that whole open. Because I want people, when they're listening to this, to think about the vast landscape that there is of advice out here now. And it is a vast landscape of niche voices. So we talk about, or we, people in the leadership development field know what the, kind of know what the landscape is. But even there, it's it's kind of confusing because there are people who are just doing stuff on TikTok. And I'm not on TikTok. And so I don't know what they're doing. That's a neighborhood I don't go to. I mean, I'm aware it's there, but I'm, I'm not going over there. I can get in too much trouble over there. I don't go there. I stay out of there. And there might be, and you know what? The new Joe Rogan might be over there. I'll never hear about that person. Like, I just won't. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm in this field of, you're in the field of podcasting. So in the field of podcasting, anybody who's got a voice, Adam Grant, um, uh, yeah, Joe Rogan I already mentioned, but Adam Grant, Joe Rogan, Brene Brown, Jocko Willick, who I mentioned in the open, those folks have a podcast, and that's how they're growing their particular brand in the environment of podcasting. They might be doing a double play, and many of them are, a double play on, like, YouTube or something, but, like, Brene Brown doesn't have a YouTube show, at least I'm not aware of one, that she's got. Like, I think she's just doing the podcast and the Netflix thing and going and doing her work at the University of Houston, and she's done, and, and writing books. Dan Pink. Dan Pink doesn't really do a podcast, but he'll do a YouTube thing, and occasionally he'll pop up on LinkedIn. But he's got like seven books under his belt, so he can do what he wants. So there's books, there's podcasting, there's TikTok, there's whatever's happening on Instagram Reels, which, you know, if you look up hashtag leadership development on Instagram Reels, good God. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. The whole thing opens up, right? And the rest of your month is gone. Oh, my God. It's, 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 it just disappears. <laughs> so this, this is part of an inside, partly an inside baseball question, but partly a question for those people who are, who are like consumers of all of this content. What are you seeing in the field of leadership development with the 30 conversations you've been having? And then the second question is, what should I be focused on if I'm a leadership development, or not leadership development, if I'm a person looking to be developed in the leadership space, if I'm looking for a voice that appeals to me, what should I be looking for? Well, yeah, um, all of the the guests I've talked to have had this such a wide range of expertise. And, um, and so that last question is going to be a little bit more challenging to answer. But what I'm seeing is um, first of all, any resource that you need is already available to you and there's more coming. Um, there's no right way, but, um, you can be, anybody can be a leader, but what kind of leader is that? Like you've got, you can (laughs) open up a Huffington post and you'll see a whole front page of people who are in leadership roles and what is it, but what does it really truly mean to be a leader? Um, does that mean you're leading with morals, integrity, um, compassion, 
um, or being a quote, good leader or bad leader. You've got both. So, um, but I see so much happening in the personal development space that it's really, there's so much coaching happening that people want to grow. We want to better ourselves. So it's not about just showing up as I was today. It's about showing up as I was yesterday, but a little bit more than that and like learning and, and putting effort into it and, um, and having this passion and compassion, having both things mixed together and, um, and showing up in a very authentic way. So, and, and hopefully not getting canceled in, 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 in mix with that. So but be careful know. how authentically you show up. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, you know, but there's also that whole nother conversation about being canceled that, you know, that, that might help you grow anyways, you know, it's your platform. What are you trying again? Goals, purpose. What are you trying to get out of it? What are you trying to put in? What kind of person are you wanting to show up? I really love talking about legacy. What kind of legacy are you creating for yourself? Because legacy isn't the story that someone tells about us on our funeral. Legacy is what you tell about yourself today and yesterday. You know, my legacy has already been developed because I'm, you know, in midlife. So the, these things and these stories, and, but it, it it changes every day. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the person that I was at 17 is not anywhere close to the person that I am today. I'm embarrassed about some of the person that I was at 17. <laughs> I think we all are just a little bit. So if I have like people who are listening, oh, I don't want to listen to her because I remember her when she was 17. Okay. Don't judge. I'm not judging you for who you were at that age because you're not that person. So that's not your legacy. The legacy is this, what we're developing and working towards. And I think that's part of it too, is to say, I want to be a person who shows up um, fully as a happy, healthy, whole person and authentically. And this idea of wholeness and health um, is, is extremely important. And so it's showing up as a leader, uh, somebody with health, and then what does that actually mean? Um, does that mean physically healthy, mentally healthy, socially healthy, spiritually healthy? Like, mm-hmm. wh- what does that word mean? Um, but really, it's this growth of yourself. So if you are a leader in a leadership role and you, if you're in a leadership role, you should be having some mentorship no matter what. You should yeah. have a coach. You should have a mentor, whatever that looks like. Um don't wait until you get to a point where you're like, I cannot handle this anymore. I should ask for some help because then you're going to have to go through this whole thing of who do I look for? Find somebody now that you can trust that can support you. And that has, is a few steps ahead of you or multiple mm-hmm. steps ahead of you. Mm-hmm. I honestly get, think it's easier and better to have someone who's not like light years ahead of you because that person has kind of like moved on mm-hmm. and doesn't really recall and remember. I mean, mentoring an eight-year-old is a little bit challenging for me. Like I can still do that, but I don't remember what it was like to be eight. You know, I can help you and support you, but, um, you know, maybe a 15-year-old mentoring an eight-year-old, that might be good, you know? So thinking about always having somebody at your ready now, who's that, who's the right person to look for in that? Um, there, there are some key things that I'm noticing in leadership. It's going to be, can you listen? Can you tell a good story? And do people trust you? Um, and a lot of that is with emotional intelligence. Are you emotionally intelligent? Like, can you, um, do you have self-control? Can you say that I'm sad, happy, angry, like um, acknowledge what the emotions in a situation, those kinds of things all come into play there. So when you're looking for a coach, you might look for somebody in an area that you're weak in um, or even an area that you're strong in that you want to get stronger in. Let, but w- what coaches, a good coach is going to do is it's going, someone is, who's going to ask you questions and they're just reflecting back what they're hearing from you. That's what coaching is. It's saying, what I hear from you saying right now is that this is hard. 
And the person goes, yeah, yeah, it's hard. It's not therapy. It's saying, I hear you. And then, okay, so what are you going to do about it? Mm -hmm. That's what coaching is different therapy. You're going to go, okay, so where, where are we going to go with this? Uh, Plus you kind of put a, and I do, I do some coaching. I mean, just like consulting is downstream for you. Coaching is we package it with, with other products because that's, that's the best way for us to kind of sort of navigate that. But, um, I look at it from, I look at it as coaching is as sort of jettisoning the, the Carl Rogers, the therapist, Carl Rogers idea of unconditional positive regard, um, which is what you wanted maybe do for therapy. But I tell clients all the time, I don't do therapy. If you need a therapeutic experience, I can recommend people to you. But I am not going to look at you with unconditional, I don't use this term, but I'm not going to look at you with unconditional positive regard. Like there's going to be things that are going to pop up and I'm going to go, nope, (laughs) you should not be doing that. And here's why. Or I'm going to walk you through how to not do that by asking you a series of questions and listening. But I'm not just going to give you unconditional positive regard. That's a therapeutic well, function. And also it wouldn't point you towards your goals. Like if I want right. you to think about a sports coach, you know, a basketball coach is going to be like, good dribbling, buddy. It's going to, it's going to go, go. We talked about baseball. Which I ever had. Yeah. He's going to, they're going to, they're going to give you tips to make you better. And it's constant improvement to push you further and right. to push you towards your goal. What is it again, back to that question, what does success look like to you? So what is that here in this situation? So if you are struggling in your company with, um, people not wanting to show up at work, mm-hmm. people um, <laughs> people talking about you behind their backs mm-hmm. on the Slack channel. There's a lot of negativity um, or, you know, just in the warehouse, wherever that is, tons of negativity. Um, people are quitting their jobs. You're already, you're getting reference calls because, you know, people are trying, looking for other work. Um, you know, if those things are happening, then I think you need to really go and look at what's really going on here. There's not trust. There's not, um, people aren't, feeling pulled to a compelling story. So where do we start in that? Um, And you might have to really like strip some things down and go, let's really focus. Let's just start with listening. Let me go in and do a survey of my employees and find out where, what they're happy about, why they're showing up to work. You know, right now, the, the new word this week, it's not really a new word, but it's been funny to kind of watch it on LinkedIn for me is quiet quitting, which I've done. Um, it's this idea of really not like showing up and not wanting to be there at work. So you just show up and don't go above and beyond and you just kind of do your thing. Yeah, it's the but Gen X. It's it's the it's like the Gen Zers and the Millennials have all. Pardon, pardon me. I'm using that term just broadly. It's like they've discovered the Gen X thing of like just whatever, never mind. I don't know, whatever. Like we're just yeah. Here we well, are now. Entertain us. Like <laughs> put on a show. <laughs> we have no sometimes other you feel like being. you have to do that. Like if you financial, you can't, you don't have the you're in survival mode. You don't have the emotional energy to find something that really gives you life. Um, and maybe that's not important to you. You just want to do your work and then you want to go to the gym at night or you want to go whatever that is to your basketball games. It doesn't matter. Um, but you know, if, if you're not given encouragement and support to be excited about showing up at work, it's going to be hard to be excited about showing up to work. You know, I also think you're talking about, I also think you're talking about 20 years of parenting where people were quite frankly, involved in every single aspect of decision-making in a family and, and, and the boundaries and the hierarchy were blurred. And you're combining that with the culture of success as an expectation and then moving the next step and moving the next step and moving the next step. And we can argue about whether or not that was a social or, 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 or cultural good, uh, but we cannot argue with the fact that it actually happened. And the results of that, when you hit the wall, are, and there's nobody there to advocate for you, by the way, so you have to begin to advocate for yourself. When you hit the wall of that, then it's like, well, 
I went through this COVID thing. Okay. <laughs> you know, yeah. okay. And, you know, it, it, this isn't the first time in human history that people have decided, you know what, I'm only going to give the bare minimum and go home. Like, this is not, this is not the first time. No, it's just people are talking about it in articles and posting about it. It's It's been happening and we, we all do it. And there might not be anything wrong with that. But again, what does that mean to you? Like if you are running a company and you want people to be motivated to be at work, happy to be there and enjoy it, then you have to give them a reason to do those things. Well, and every company isn't going to be Jeff Bezos, he of the Lex yes. Luthor bald head. <laughs> infamously said i do think that guy's lex luther by the way um did did infamously say back in the day in an interview i think in manhattan somewhere if you want to come and work at amazon we don't have cereal and break rooms and um and nap rooms like they have at google we don't have that here we're not for you go work at google Go find a startup where you're going to do that. But don't come here to Amazon. And you know what? At the time, he I remember, the reason I remember this is because he got a lot of crap from the tech media and the entrepreneur media and the startup media. And they drove a lot of clicks. But he was right. Every place is not going to have bean bags and cereal in the break rooms. And so I think that we have to acknowledge that the long tail and the internet has broken up mass. No more mass media, which everybody loves because we could pick our own stuff. Um, no more mass. Um, everybody has access to social media, whether you want it or not. I mentioned TikTok, whatever. That's also coming because, because of the internet. Um, if you want to have a podcast, you can have one. I'm in that space. We're in that space right now. Mm -hmm. You can even get your own political opinions the way you want them. And we can argue again about that, whether or not that's a cultural good. And we are having multiple arguments about that right now. Good at, you know, all over the map about that. But the internet brought us that. But here's what the internet also brought us. The internet brought us the ability to pick and choose the kind of organization we want to work with, both on the employee side, but also to pick and choose the kind of organization you want to create on the employer side. And that is a fundamental shift in cultural and in thinking from the mass, um, the mass employer, mass employment mentality of the 20th century, which by the way, those of us who are, I know you identified yourself as middle age, okay those of us who are middle aged and older we all remember it's all in our historical memory we haven't forgotten any of this so to, for us all of this choice is new this is like an explosion of riches and so when he puts it that way when lex luther says that who's running amazon and by the way you're still ordering from amazon <laughs> like you're not gonna stop <laughs> you know when he says that He's not incorrect. He just said it in a way that was direct. And that's what got people upset. He said the, as the kids meme these days, he said the quiet part out loud. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he did. He did. He did. Yeah, you're right. And I'm really glad you brought that up because, you know, as I'm mentioning, you know, what, it, what are your goals in your company? Um, there have to be companies and organizations where people can just show up and work and not have to be engaged um, and not have to be like super on board with this um, mission driven because um, first of all, not everybody's designed to be um, to be like excited about a mission. That's not what every person is designed for. And sometimes there are just times and phases in our lives where we, even if we are designed that way, where we can't, where we just have to be able to go and earn money that's going to pay our groceries and and go home and deal with all the rest of the stuff that's going on, you know? Exactly. So yeah. sometimes I think here the key would be like, work has to be a safe environment. 
no matter what, it has to be safe. And then you're asking the question, what's safe? Does it be physically safe? Well, we've got OSHA for that, but even they're not perfect, you know, and you might not be following OSHA unless they show up and surprise you, which has happened. Um, but you know what, what you got to be physically safe, but then you also have emotional safety. Oh yeah, there's going to be a white collar for OSHA coming in the next few years. I've talked about with guests on this podcast before. I firmly believe that will happen. And and by the way, there's going to be massive pushback from all the blue collar people who are going to be like, "What the hell is wrong with you?" But it's going to happen. I mean, I'm already seeing the wave starting to build. Yeah, it, and, and I think it's important too. Like, I need to know that I'm not going to be scared every day. I mean, I don't want to go to work and feel like I'm going to be abused every day for verbally, physically, sure. all of those things. You know, sure. so. Well, and the other dynamic is we have to consider in leadership, how does that, and this is where I I disagree with with some folks who are in leadership development spaces. On the one hand, I I will say, and I have written written this in my book, everyone cannot be a leader. Sorry. Like, I I understand the American ideal is that even if you're not leading, you're you're collapsing or you're slacking off somehow. You're not fulfilling the American dream. Get the hell out of town. Everyone can't lead. Fine, that's number one. But number two, once you decide to lead, leadership starts from inside of you and then works its way outward in concentric circles. And that idea, the first idea, everyone can't lead. People jump on me all the time about that. They're like, what about this and what about that? And talk about edge cases and I don't care. No, everybody can't lead. Just, no, it can't happen. Um, and by the way, everybody shouldn't lead all the time either. But that's another thing for another day. <laughs> one edge battle at a time and so um (laughs) so with one edge conflict at a time but that other idea that which leads me into the whole osha piece is this if i as a leader know that i'm a direct communicator and i've hired or i'm working on a team with a bunch of people or have had a team given it to me which is usually where most most folks are i've had a team given to me where they don't like my direct communication or that doesn't work for them I think the pushback on the white collar OSHA thing will be, I'm just talking to you directly and you don't like it. So like that, and that's going to be the giant rift. And I'm not how saying do I you disagree monitor with that? you. Yeah. yeah. How do you monitor that? How do you, how do you monitor for somebody else's emotional response to my direct mode of communication that perhaps, and this is where you get into, this is where you get into things that I, I think are just totally psychologically hard to get into which are things like implicit bias and a whole bunch of other different areas, which can have cloudy gray areas and can be misinterpreted. Well, that's like that. I cannot even count the number of times I've said this in the last two months. We do not live in a vacuum. Life does not happen in a black hole where in a vacuum where you can uh, manage and mitigate every factor. What we are trying to do is to say, I my, my goal is that people are not harmed by working with me, that people are respected and given dignity. And what is that really, how does that really play out? Am I going to get it right today? I might today. Am I going to get it right tomorrow? I might not. And there's, you know, especially in the United States where we have so many cultures mixed together mm-hmm. and different um, economic statuses and backgrounds. And we're still pretty a relatively new country. This is still kind of an experiment happening here. And you're getting people from, I mean, refugees who've been through horrors that are, that live here or people who have been abused. Um, you know, you, 
you bring all of those people into the workplace and then you've got people who were like never paid for anything in their life because they were treated so well and they had trust funds and grew up and they're but now their trust funds out and they need a job you know so you have people on every different type of person that shows up and so how do we all learn to work together well you can't always hmm. <laughs> you, you don't always but the goal is that we we can try and learn and teach ourselves dignity and respect and so my hope as a leader as a leadership coach as a podcaster is that i can bring this positive voice of continuing to say i i am going to teach dignity and respect and i am going to make every effort to act on that in my own life my own being do i fail at that oh yeah ask my kids mm. <laughs> i mean I, oh, yeah. I i fail at that but am i gonna wake up tomorrow and try again yeah. yeah. And um, what is it that, what is that ultimate story that we're trying to tell that legacy that we're being, because we're part of building something. This is part, the world is continuing on. And uh, think about how we are the product of millions and millions of decisions that came before us. Mm -hmm. yeah, millions, yeah. billions of decisions, little tiny decisions that just my life here in this moment is a product of. So people coming behind me are going to be the product of my decisions. And so I'm not, that's not paralyzing me. I'm not thinking, oh, I don't know what decision to make because I have to make the right one. It's not about that. It's about just being a little bit intentional and about showing up with some compassion and caring and making an effort. Um, and remembering that there's no right way um, that everybody's going to do it differently. Like we said, there's there's the trust person. There's the you've got the the trust coach. You've got the emotion coach. You've got the uh, protocol coach. You've got all these different pieces here together. And so it's what piece do you need to have in front of you right now that's going to take you yeah. to the next step where you want to go next? And and who is it that you want to be? And how do you want to bring other people along for the ride? I love it that you mentioned that we're a multifaceted multiracial multi-class society um because what we are seeing happening fundamentally i think culturally and it does bleed down into our workplaces and into our leadership uh and even bleeds down into our families um you've got folks at the very very top of the, the hierarchy who all go to the same schools and shake hands with each other. And I'm not talking just in politics. I mean, entertainment, academia, you manufacture, you can go into any manufacturing service industries. You can go to at the top of any industry. And there's a very tiny group of people that are all shaking hands with each other and kind of agreeing on things and then moving on. Um, you even see this in the leadership development field. That's why I brought up Tony Robbins. Anybody who's an acolyte of Tony Robbins um, or John Maxwell, they all go to the same parties, they all shake each other's hands, they all go to the same conferences, they all have dinner with each other, and in some cases they all marry each other, and then they all go do the thing together with each other. Okay, fine. It's true. It, well, you know, there's an, there's an elite at the top of everything. Even, mm -hmm. even in construction work, there's an elite at the top of construction companies. There's two or three construction companies in the world, they get all the business, done. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um... So you've got that. And that's, by the way, that's that's a human thing. That's never going to stop. There's always going to be people at the top. Then you've got a vast chunk of people in the middle. And that's where the royal happens, right? Um, and that's where the 320 million other people or 310 other million people in the country live. And it is a vast royal of, of, of voices and ideas and perspectives. You talked about LinkedIn on quiet quitting. I've been watching that this week, but I've also been casually watching the lack of coverage of the gravity payments guy, oh, Dan, yeah. Price. Dan Price. 
LinkedIn went totally dark on that. I posted. Yeah, that one. was I went the hard to find went, info on. You can't you can't find it on LinkedIn. And I was like, hmm. I saw one thing and I was really confused. And I went, wait, what happened? I had no idea. And yeah. I had to kind of yeah, piece it, was it all together. The, it was probably the thing that I posted. It was probably the thing that I posted. And the only reason I posted it was because I, I read both the New York Post and the New York Times. So I was like, oh, I saw it in both places. And I was like, oh, oh, I wonder if they're going to, I wonder. If, and it has not shown up in my side feed. Nothing. Yeah. Dead silence. Huh. Okay. And then you have things like the prime minister of finland who parties and it goes right. crazy and viral and you're like she went to a party went to a that's party. what normal people do like, what are we what are we talking about why is this news again why is this news <laughs> what are we doing okay so you've got that vast majority that vast royal in the middle and then all the way down to the bottom which you can you can argue about the numbers but all the way down to the bottom you've got folks who like you say are just trying to get through their day you know they want to go to a job um they want to go home um, they want to play with their kids and they just want, and this is a very simple me metric of success. They want, and I, I call it the system, but it's not, it's even broader than that or not broader than that. Then I'll use a narrower word than that. They want things to work. They don't know specifically what things they just want things to work. And things is a big category. Things is. Everything from your lights turning on to your water being clean to the sidewalk not caving in when you go to work to being able to go get your dog's haircut at like Petco or whatever. Mm -hmm. They want things to work. And when something doesn't work, that's when they notice it. But as long as things are working, or at least things appear to work, they're fine. And they mm -hmm. don't tie this to leadership fundamentally until something falls apart. <laughs> This is what happened right. with COVID because with COVID, everything, everything, and again, broad category collapsed inside of them. And they were like, oh my God, this isn't working. Yeah. By the way, the people in the middle knew it wasn't working the whole time, but they're very busy scrambling around trying to keep it working. <laughs> yeah. It's their job. It's keep it working. And this yeah, is where I get. Forget. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, go no. Ahead. And this is where I get into compassion fatigue because I want to kind of go into this. The people in the middle are the compassion fatigued ones. They're the ones that come up to me, and I'm sure you've had this experience, but they come up to me in a six-hour training or at the end of a four-hour training or at the end of a two-hour webinar or at the end of an eight-hour training or at the end of a three-day thing or four-day, whatever. They come up to me and they go, hey, son, this is all great information. This is all awesome. But, and this became the title of my second book, my boss doesn't care about any of this. And I have to show up and keep, and I would love to be able to implement all this stuff. I would love it if you were my boss, because you would let me implement all this stuff that I know is good and would make things, make things, that big category, work better so that the people who are expecting things to just work would recognize that things are working better. But my boss won't let me make any of these changes because my boss is in the elite up there. Mm -hmm. And then those people in the middle who are coming to me, coming to you, they, they're burned out because they've been trying. They're apathetic. They've got compassion fatigue. And they are like, I wrote this in the chapter in my book on compassion fatigue, they're like Pagliacci. They're the clown that cries. And nobody wants to see their tears. And they're stuck. Mm -hmm. How do we help those people? Because those people aren't posting on LinkedIn. They don't want, they don't want to be exposed. They're like, nope, I don't, number one, I don't have time. But also number two, like, I got to go do work. I got to make sure that this thing keeps working so no one notices the cracks in the edifice. How do we help those people? Oh, so yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Welcome so to the can't... podcast, Kyla. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, you can't help people who don't want to be helped, but so in a, in some part of that is that people we kind of 
leave it on people to help themselves. But the but is that um, when you are responsible for other people, regardless of what they say, you're still responsible Mm -hmm. to show up in in a way with integrity for them. Mm -hmm. So, man, if you're the boss and it's, it's hard. If you're the leader, I think it's your job to notice. Mm-hmm. To that goes back to the caring, to always pay pay attention, to notice, and to listen, and to be continually checking in. How are things going? What are things looking like? And um, I, and this can get really hard because when you're in a leadership role, and I've noticed this in my own business, you're getting caught up with all the things that you have to do, and you're trusting that the other people are doing stuff, and um, they might get frustrated and not say it to you mm-hmm. because you're the boss. Right. And and you might not have time to stop and notice because you're so busy and stressed with all the upper things that you're trying to do. But you have to take the time. I have to take the time. We have to take the time. And if we're noticing that we're not doing that, then um, then something's not working right. There should never be a point when we're so busy that we don't have the time. If you're so busy, then you need to be canceling some stuff. And I just said this today, I'm gonna have to cancel some things because I, I have a lot on my plate and I've got to scale back for my own well-being. And if I care about other people's well-being, I have to care about my own too. So leading up by, um, showing by example, leading by example, you know, actually doing those things and making that effort. I remember that job I mentioned in DC when the president of the company came to my little tiny cubicle on like my first week of work, introduced himself, said, hello, it was a small company. So it was easy, small nonprofit, you know, but like made an effort, asked personal questions about me. And I was so nervous. I was like, ah, I Mm -hmm. I answered like really weird questions. And you know, and I probably never, he was probably like, who's this crazy person, but I'm still like made, it was intentional. I mean, you've got that word intention. What kind of intention do we have behind who we are? And, um, you know, it's always on us to speak up if something's not right, if someone's in that middle, but also like not forget that as you kind of were saying with all the things that we want to work, we also want to retire and to not be in a homeless shelter and to, um, have, be able to take care of ourselves, be responsible for ourselves and our own decisions, depending on who you are. Some Mm. people don't care about that. That's you. And that's fine. That's not me. I, I care about those things. So there's a lot of us who do it. So knowing that, yes, we want those things to work. And if I want those things for other people, what a joy and a privilege and a great responsibility it is to be running a company where other people can show up and it fully supports and sustains their life, mm-hmm. and their oh, livelihood. Yeah. Yeah. Like how incredible is that, that you could make enough money to completely support another family. Mm-hmm. And if you have multiple employees, not just one family, but multiple people, if you have this big growing company, people are reliant on you. Yes, that is a responsibility and something that you should own. And, and, and you don't need to make this a stressful thing, but just be aware, notice it and, and be a person who cares. And if you're that person who cares, some of these other questions, they just, they don't matter because you're noticing them anyways. And you are already that person. You are already showing up in a way that supports and cares for people. Does that mean you have an open door policy? That's bad boundaries. Don't have an open, you know, (laughs) you, if you want to have an open door policy, like here are my office hours, you know, great. That's awesome. Do you want people to be able to, you want to be approachable? Mm -hmm. That is a great goal. Should you be approachable at 10 PM? Well, is there a fire? Yes. Is there not a fire? Then no, like this is where we get into some boundaries of things, but, um, being in a leadership role doesn't mean, um, that you have no boundaries. Right. It doesn't mean that everything always falls on you. It just means that you're the person who listens, who cares, who shows up and who, um, 
other people look to for answers when things go wrong. So how did you back into this? Because I came to this through conflict management and conflict resolution. Um, before that, I was in higher education for double-digit years. Let's just put it that way. It was a long time. Um, working with students, building teams, um, working with professionals, managing large budgets, that, 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 that. And then before that, I mean, all very boring stuff. Um, and then, well, it, was, it wasn't very interesting. Um, it, it just wasn't. It just wasn't very interesting. Not it was, to you, it was, yeah. No, it wasn't. It was, it was, I literally figured out the game within like six months. And then I was like, hmm. Well, I guess I got to stick around for this because I need the, I thought, <laughs> which I didn't have anybody to tell me otherwise, but I thought I needed the, um, the ability, you talk about a compelling story, I needed the ability to put that thing on the resume because I thought the resume was going to continue to be the compelling story. And then I found out much later that no one cares about your resume. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then before that, as I give my resume, um, and, then, and then before that, you know, I taught martial arts for years and years and years. Um, and then did rugby and did coaching and all those. So I had, a, I, had a, <clears throat> I had a plethora of different experiences that I brought to the leadership development space. Um, and all of those experiences have impacted how I think about this space. Um, in addition to, uh, you know, things that I've seen in divorce and family mediation, um, things I've tried in my own life, negotiations I've been in, um, arbitrations I've been in, mediations I've been in, you know, and so all of these kinds of things come into come into play. Um, there are others who will say that your race comes into play, your class comes into play, your education comes into play. Uh, for me personally, those things were always secondary down downstream somewhere over there because of the way I was raised and the kinds of parents I had and the kinds of cultural messages and, and social messages that I got being raised as a kid that I also then brought to, and, and many of which I kept, but that I brought to adulthood, some of which I jettisoned, but many of which I kept coming to adulthood. Okay. Um, that's what makes leadership development so fascinating because a person like myself and you may see eye to eye on burnout and compassion fatigue, but we both may not be willing to go as far as and I keep picking on this guy, so I'm not going to pick on him. We may not, we may may not be willing to go as far into the space of discipline as someone like a name your military seal guy who's running a podcast now here. <laughs> Extreme ownership. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. and, and you know, and by the way, I bought the book. I bought many of his books, and he's not incorrect. But again, it's based on his 20 years of walking around in that system. You can't take that away from the guy. That He did that in that system. He put the time in that system. Just like for me, you can't take away the time I put in. You can't take away the time you put in into your system, right? Um, and that's what makes this field so fascinating. One of, the, one of the massive critiques against leadership development is that all of the advice seems to be non-scientifically based, okay? Um, and also seems to be fuzzy-wuzzy, okay? And also seems to be delivered by practitioners who've never actually touched people um, or engaged with people. Okay. And by the way, this is the Jeffrey Pfeffer leadership BS critique that he published in his book like 15 years ago that landed with a thud and everybody just kind of walked away um, from it. 
Um, and it was, it was his massive critique because he thinks that all of this is useless. He thinks that you go into an organization, it's dog eat dog. You climb the hierarchy, you cut as many people as you possibly can because that's the law of the jungle. And why are we telling anybody to do anything different? This people centric stuff is nonsense. It's not how everything actually yeah. operates in the real lived world where we all really live. Okay, but that perspective lives in the leadership development field too. There are people who are, who are, who are pushing that idea. So how did Kyla get here? What are your experiences that backed you into this? Or maybe you ran into it forward intentionally. How did you come to this space and to, to the Leadership School podcast? Yeah, well, um, well, I'm trying to think of where's the appropriate place to start. Because um, the first thing that came to my mind, to be honest, was when I was 14 and 15. Um, I was like always in leadership positions and I was very religious. I grew up in a really conservative religious culture. And so I, um, was in like these religious groups, youth groups. Um, and I was always in leadership roles there, but I remember I'm trying to decide I, I'm pausing because I'm trying to decide how much of the story I want to tell, because it's a personal story and I've not sure. told it publicly really. Okay. So I'm just going to give you like enough. <laughs> you, you give me what you give us, whatever you feel comfortable giving yeah. and you don't have to give us more than that. You know, whatever yeah, you feel comfortable yeah. giving. It's up to well, you. there was, um, a girl who was in, um, like my circles and, um, she just struggled and I ended up befriending her and kind of was her person, I guess, and noticed that I became very quickly a fixer. And I did not know this about myself, but as I was developing as a teenager, I wanted to fix people and help them. And, and, you know, obviously things weren't right in her life. And I was there and I was a stable, healthy person because of my family environment and um, the way I was growing up that I could um, bring her to a place of health. And, um, and she wanted that in some ways. And I, but also I was 15. So I had no clue what I was doing. And I acknowledged that at 15, I said, I don't know what I'm doing. So when I go to school, I want to go to school to um, be, I wanted to work with at-risk teenagers because I wanted to be able to um, know what I was doing in this mm. environment. And then I did some other things. I noticed that I was just, I was in these leadership positions. I didn't know I was a leader. I just, I just liked being, I like being front and center. <laughs> I like being loud. I like being the center of attention. <laughs> I like being in charge. I like being on stage. I was like in productions, shows and things like that. So I like being in stage and um, I, but I just was this fixer. Well, that went a bad way, <laughs> you know, as you, you're trying to develop and learning as a teenage girl mm -hmm. in a conservative Christian religious culture, and you're trying to figure this out. Um, I tended up, ended up being um, manipulated by a lot of people and also um, getting into like relationships where I would like try and fix people. Well, that's just not what people come to you for. That's not a healthy relationship. So I'm, I, I figured that out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, no, no one, no one appreciates that. Superman. Like really, <laughs> nobody does. Yeah. <laughs> We've grown from that, but I did go to, ended up going to school and got a degree at John Brown university in family and human services. I went in thinking I was going to do social work. They didn't have a social work program. Right. So I did this, um, human services, and it ended up being very similar to all these things. It was just like your pre precursor to a master's in social work, which mm -hmm. I was going to go get. And then I never did, um, because of, fi of costs, financial reasons. Mm -hmm. And, um, really it was just an excuse, but it's the one I had. So <laughs> <laughs> if you want to really get into some coaching there, so I uh, well. ended up doing that. Well, um, I had this like a long lifetime of insecurity, self-doubt, um, lack of self-belief, the not good enoughs, anxiety, depression, all of this stuff, um, which held me back a lot in my life. Well, um, I was working for somebody else 
a few years ago and um, was like, I cannot keep doing this for the rest of my life. I have to take ownership of my own life and my own career and who am I and what am I going to do? And I wanted to go back to all those other things that I'd thought about before. Extreme ownership, social work edition. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. (laughs) I wasn't quite there, but it was like, honestly, I just, there was this part of me, I had been working for small businesses and I knew that I was supposed to start a business. I just knew it. There was, it's just, it's just weird. Like I I have really good intuition, but there's also this, just this knowing I knew that I was supposed to do something. If you want to use Glennon Doyle, call it the knowing. Mm -hmm. So I I had that. And so I sat down, I finally got a break. Um, I am also in between all the other things that I do. I am a stay at home homeschooling mother and my children were, I had just given birth. I think she was like a few months old and I just needed a break. And I got a break in a coffee shop. The first time I had a break in like three years couple hours to myself. And I sat down with a journal and I started writing and I was like, what are all the things that I'm, I can do? What are all the things that I'm qualified and capable for? And I realized, and I went life coach and it just like had, it was all, it was this light bulb moment. It was very weird. It was this moment of going, why have I not done this before? (laughs) This is who I am. This is how I show up. This is what I do for people. I already know the processes. I know how to ask these people questions. And within like six months, I was a certified life coach and I went on to this business and I I really got to the life coaching. And um, I saw in the nonprofit world, how I said before, people getting burnt out. So I went into the burnout coaching field, which really ended up, someone said, I mean, three years ago, somebody, three, four years ago, someone said, well, you're a leadership coach. And I went, yeah, but I'm not a leader. Oh, but I'm not a leader not a and leader. I can't coach other people because I'm not a leader. And um, really the, the podcast has really given me so much perspective and confidence and um, you know, this, that whole history of self-loathing mm-hmm. is gone. Thankfully it's not from the podcast, but I've, I've worked on that personally mm-hmm. a lot. Um, but when I finally realized, wait a second, I have been leading people since I was 15 years old. I just didn't know that's what I was doing. And part of it too, is because I was told that I couldn't be a leader, but I was doing it anyways. So it it was just these, these little pieces in our life, you know, again, these legacies that we're creating for ourselves, for me, it's just these little things, little decisions that would stack. Mm -hmm. Um, um, But also like, I really believe that we are all, um, we all have something. I don't, I don't like saying we all have a purpose because right. I, I, I don't, I don't really like that. Yeah. Um, and I really think our purpose in life is to live it, but I, I feel like we're all good at something. We all have something, our character that makes up us. And for me, this is part of that character that makes up me. And it was just being able to put it out into the world and saying, and, and owning it, extreme ownership, but owning it, admitting it and, and bringing it um, from like, the back of my head to the front kind of, I'm using a lot of hand motions right mm-hmm. now because yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm physically feeling all of these <clears throat> things, you know, as I'm telling you my story. Um, it's funny. I just haven't told my story like this in, in a while, but um, it, it's just these things that we don't know about us, but everybody else already does. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and people are, and you know, when I took my life coach certification, they were like, you're really good at this. And I went, well, yeah, Obviously, like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I remember watching, you mentioned Tony Robbins. I had honestly yes. never heard of Tony Robbins before. I, oh, I saw wow. something on Netflix. I, I've heard of him now. <laughs> I've heard of him now. But when I was started this whole process, I saw this Netflix show about him and I was watching it. And the whole time I was Googling, like, is this for real? Like, mm-hmm. is this guy like a joke? Is he oh, like no. fake? I was really like, what is happening here? But I was watching it and I sent a message to someone and I went, well, I can do that. Yep. <laughs> And that person went, well, that sounds like a calling to me. And I went, oh, 
Yes. <laughs> and it just was this realization of why on earth do we, well, for me, it was a lot of, like I said, the insecurity and self-doubt, but why did I believe that other people could do things that I couldn't? And when I finally realized that that was not true, that I do have these great skills to offer because I'm already offering them and doing them. It was just having, it was just that step from the not having the belief to the belief and and then going forward and really doing it. So, um, you know, I've, I've had that long history of leading people and, and doing that. And I've just tried to bring that to the podcast. And I called my podcast leadership school because I wanted to learn. And so right. I, it's been great I'm, I'm interviewing so many people and just learning for myself because you can, you can have Tony Robbins who might be an expert in his field, but I can guarantee he can't crochet a blanket. Like he might not be an expert. <laughs> well, I, I can't, maybe he can crochet, but like, he's not an expert in that other thing. He's not an expert in everything, you know, and um, he still has things to learn in his field. We still all have things. So I can come to you at the most expert top today. This is everything that I know. I'm going to give you my book and this is all out there, but tomorrow I'm going to learn something new that might change it all. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder how many careers I am not your guru on Netflix has launched. I wonder how many, <laughs> I wonder if that's why he did it. He's like, I just want to launch some, I just want to launch some competition here. Let me do this. Yeah. I watched that <clears throat> after some initial resistance. Cause I knew, I know who Tony Robbins is. Mm -hmm. um, and I know who all of Tony Robbins, you know, followers and acolytes are. And I, I try to keep away from as much as I can from those folks, not because there's anything wrong with what they're saying fundamentally, but because I am put off by the approach. Um, mm -hmm. The, the, the uh it's not the it's not it's not the water in the container the water is probably fine it's the container it's coming into me and so i'm like i don't know I'm, I'm i'm it's one of those places where i'm i'm weird like that but um but um you know he's a person of his time and and sort of i'm going to back into this next question mm -hmm. as we sort of round the corner here in our conversation and uh go towards a go towards a close um in leadership development, in the space of this space, organizational behavior, leadership development, um, social work kind of hooks into this, therapy, psychology, sociology, um, all these human-centered, emotionally intelligent, uh, emotional intelligence-oriented kinds of fields, which were started by, let's be real here, old white guys. Um, I mean, they were, you know, I mean, yeah. we, we, we can't... We, <laughs> Well, this is why you don't tear down statues. You have to remember where you came from. But anyway, um, <laughs> just fundamentally. And I'm in Texas. I think you're in Tennessee. Like, you just, you gotta, you gotta remember where you came from at a certain, a certain area. It doesn't mean you can be trapped by it. You shouldn't be. You should be able to move on from that. But you gotta, you gotta remember so you don't fall back into some bad habits. But we are in, I believe, fundamentally, um, in 2022, and I think for the next probably, 25 to 30 years, and you and I have kind of had a conversation about this offline a little bit, but I want to bring it to our audience. I think we're in with the niching of leadership development and everybody being able to find something, like you said, just resource rich and there's more resources coming all the time. I think we're in the twilight of the white guys. And there are some who will hear this and they will they will be like, yes, Hassan's finally got it. Okay. Um, and there will be others who will be like, no, we're really not. No, there's got to be. There's more work to be done because structural name your ism here <laughs> at the end of that sentence. Okay, um, you know there'll be those people, and then there will be people who will be like, "I never really noticed that before. What are you talking about? Yeah, I'm just living my life." Which okay, yeah, and you got to gather data to convert the unconverted. That's, that's kind of how it works. Um, 
<laughs> but um, and then wait another twenty years until <laughs> right, right, and so, exactly. You got to gather data and wait twenty years. That's right. Yeah. Yes, everything cannot happen at the speed of a tweet. I'm so sorry, folks. I'm sorry. <laughs> Just can't. Nothing happen. happens. Nothing yeah. happens at the speed of a tweet other than tweeting. Yeah, <laughs> that's the only thing happens at the speed of a tweet. Oh gosh. It's, by yeah. the way, that was one of the great insights that I came to in my life. Like, people have an expectation that because Twitter moves so fast that like human behavior will move fast. I actually saw that in a LinkedIn post today. Some woman was like, we have blah, 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 blah. It's been 150 years since we've gotten something, blah, 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 something like gender equity or gender pay or equal pay or something like that. We have everything changing so fast. Why can't we change that now? And I just thought that's that's exactly what I've been talking about. That's mm-hmm. exactly what I've been saying. And yeah. so this expectation is now built into the world. But anyway, we're at the end. I think we are. I think we're at the twilight of the white guys um, in leadership development. What do you see as the future coming up? Because we are. We are having different neighborhoods that are growing up. You know, we have things that are going on in podcasting. We have things that are going on in books. We have things that are going on in social media. Um, People are are growing. Um, I don't like the term thought leaders, so I will just say this. Leadership development folks are growing their brands in all these various places. What do you see on on the cutting edge, on the bleeding edge where you're hanging out at that we should be looking for, um, particularly as, uh, I hate using this term, but Gen Z, you know, comes more into looking for leadership development in what would quote unquote be non-traditional places. What do you see happening? A little inside baseball for us. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I like seeing how culture is a movement and a shift and, and even you can see worldwide how different things in culture kind of go together, even around the world, just thought patterns and, um, decision-making sometimes. And there's this ebb and flow and some people figure it out and then they fall back and other people move forward. I think that happens worldwide. I think we're really in this cultural movement of well-being. Um, I mean, you've got thrive global now, Ariana Huffington, who's trying and succeeding at, um, making wellness and well-being and self-care preventing burnout, a priority. And it's a whole company dedicated to that. And she's not the only one. And so, um, we're in this space of trying to figure out, okay. Um, it's Victor Frankl, the logotherapy, the theology of meaning, like what, what is meaning and how can we all create that together? And, um, I, I see us kind of moving further away from independence and back into community, mm-hmm. um, and, and working into things together. Um, and, um, I guess that's really like, it's just those two things I'm seeing well-being and I'm seeing community. So, um, making the well-being of community priority, not like as this, um, starts with an S my mind is drawing a blank. Um, not capitalism, but socialism. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Not in a socialistic way, but maybe even a little bit where, um, we're, we have been trying to move towards that where we have things like universal healthcare. We're working towards those types of goals and the well-being and care about everybody. You know, I spent some time in Cuba when I was in college and, um, it was, there's tons of problems there, but I remember one thing someone said is I know that tonight I'm going to sleep and my neighbors aren't going hungry because they have the same food rations that I do. And, um, and it's just this idea of, I care about my literal neighbors next to me and I want to make sure that they're cared for. And, um, we are working together to make that happen. Um, so that means, um, I mean, I really don't know. I don't know, but I don't know. I can't see the future and that kind of thing. And I think change takes a really long time to happen, but I do see us moving towards 
having the goal where we're all mentally well and cared for mentally, not just physically, and um, that we're doing more things together. I think people are getting kind of tired of social media, to be honest, like they, they want more connections. And so we create social media to try and generate more connections, but um, we, and we will always still use it. But I think that people are making more of an effort to make those personal intimate connections. Connections, collaboration, community, um, you know, things ebb and flow, um, sort of a very Eastern way of thinking about this, a yin and yang, you know, things will go, things, events, circumstances um, at a global level, and then also at a nation state level, and then all the way down into your lives will will ebb and flow. Um, You'll have times when there are, um, where it seems like it's really hyper focused in one particular area. And then it just ebbs back and it flows into a different area. So it's, it's, it, it can somewhat seem cyclical, um, mm-hmm. which to the Western mind seems like it is um, unfocused. <laughs> um, but then to the Eastern mind, that just sounds like impatience. And so, um, so we, have to, we have to sort of integrate both of those together. Um, and I would say, well, I would say make haste slowly. To, to call upon some yes. old wisdom. And regardless of how far we've come, I mean, how far we have to go as a culture, we've come a long way. Like thinking right. about where the United States began, where we were stealing um, land from people to now we're trying, making an effort to give some back. Some people were trying to make some effort, you know, doing some things like that, reparations and um, trying to really make things right. And, um, and seeing this global mind where we can go, someone can go live in, another country and work for their U S company via the internet. You know, you mentioned just having those resources available, but, um, we have come so far and we still have so far to go. And just like I always say about, I'll be 110 years old and still have so much to learn. This country will be, this world will be uh, frail and old and still have more to go and go to learn. That's the beauty of like growth. It just doesn't stop. It just, Mm -hmm. there's change and it's constant and it moves. And the hope is that it's just a little bit better than taller. The tree is a little bit taller than it was yesterday. You know, it has more fruit than it did the day before. And, um, but what is there this standard, this bar of, We'll know when we've gotten there and that's it. No, you will never meet a bar of perfection. You will never meet a bar where you've gotten there and because you're, you're going to push the bar higher. Right. As soon as you think you get there, you're going to go, well, now I want more. It's like, well, well now I've got a car, but now I want the convertible. <laughs> and now the, you know, you, you're always going to push something further. I've got a boat and I want a yacht. Um, yes. Um, I don't want a yacht. It's. I'd rather do other things with my money. Um, I do think, and this would be my only maybe pushback on that. I do think we have to, um, and this is a, well, not a pushback, but it's a concern. Eh, not a concern. It's an observation. I'll frame it that way. Because it's not to the level of like, I need to do something about this. It's more to the level of, hmm, this is interesting. Um, the cream has to rise to the top. My grandma told me, told me that, and mm. she died. And she was darn near ninety years old, right? Um, and and I, I take that old wisdom uh, very seriously. And so, um, I think in leader in the leadership development space, it's it. You talk about collaboration and um, wellness. And I talked about this idea of it being cyclical and there being cyclical energy, you know, cyclical flow Mm -hmm. um, going back and forth between folks. 
I think also there has to be a concept of the audience and the creator working together to create excellence. Mm. And social media is kind of the crack cocaine of that, where it like short circuits all that and gives you the initial sh- or, or the sugar rush. Um, although I think it's more like crack. I think it's closer to that, actually, than sugar, actually, quite frankly. Um, if we're, if we're going to be blunt and direct here. Um, I've only used one of those, so I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, neither have I, by the way. Well, I mean sugar, yes, but no, not the crack cocaine. Um, I have no interest in any of that. But but my point is, this is the thing that's that, this is the thing I think that these dopamogenic tools have given us. And it's really hard to come off that high. It's really hard to come off that high. And so if the audience is successfully co-creating with the with the creator, then you're moving towards excellence. And this is why I like podcasting. One of the many reasons I like podcasting, because it incorporates writing, speaking, listening, and viewing, if you're doing a YouTube play there. But even if you're not, um, you, can, you can add video in. And so it, it combines all these plays together in what would what would in a mass media sense be a show like the merv griffin show or um the very best of ted koppel it took me two months to remember that guy's name and it just popped into my head oh my god the old host of nightline i was making a point about this three months ago on a podcast <laughs> episode and i could not freaking remember that dude's name and boom there it is i could see his head your, your brain keeps working until you remember it uh, yeah, it's crazy. three months though good <laughs> god like we gotta speed that up good lord it used got to... a lot going on it used to be three minutes. Oh, I'm getting old. Well, you were 12 <sighs> anyway, at that point, so. <laughs> whatever. Anyway, Ted Koppel, right? So there used to be a space in the market for, for people who wanted Merv Griffin, people who wanted Johnny Carson, people who wanted Ted Koppel. Mm-hmm. Now everybody has the ability to be either Merv Griffin, Ted Koppel, or, um, or Johnny Carson. And I think that's a fundamentally a good thing, but I think we also have to co-create with each other. And my, my observation is that there's not enough audience uh, participation in that co-creation, you know? Um, it's a lot of consuming going on out there, a lot of consuming. And I see this in my download numbers. I'm sure you see it in your download numbers for your podcast as well. Um, and it's a lot of passive consumption. And that's not co-creation. That's just a smaller version in a tinier niche of what happened in the mass market, you know, in in the 20th century. And we've got to encourage audiences to participate. And they've they've got to get off their butts and participate if they want to get it, if they want to see excellence. And this is where you see folks who have been doing it a long time um, demanding something of their audiences, regardless of what you may think about what their personalities are or their content, um, you know, they are demanding their audiences do something, take action, um, go in a particular direction, help them co-create. Now, this works better if you're running like a political leadership podcast. You can make all those kinds of appeals, and people do that all the time because politics gets people wired up. But in the organizational development space where leadership development really sits, I think that has to be that has to be a strong future consideration. Otherwise, it's just going to be a massive royal for a long, long time. I think too, that goes back to the connection piece. That's yeah. uh, what are we connected to? And we want to feel connected to something. And so when we're participating in it, we feel connected with it. And um, humans were made for connection in all forms and yeah. and we crave it. We need it. We don't, it's not, we don't crave it because it's a, a drug. It's because we need it to survive. Like connection yeah. it has to happen and be there. And so we're looking for it in really unique ways now. Whereas before, you know, the TV is 
I mean, it's not so new anymore, but you only had a few shows like that was only possible. Like people didn't know how to do it then. And now you have these options. And so, yeah, there's um, ways to connect. I mean, um, even to connect in small spaces where we don't have to be connected globally. And, um, you know, I think I don't know that we'll always have celebrities that those will that will always be there. But um, they're becoming less important because we care about the individuals. I, I love my neighbor way more than I love you know, some Hollywood celebrity. <laughs> well, and celebrity does not equal excellence either. Celebrity oh. just means you were able to suck up enough attention and eyeballs mm-hmm. to have a thing focused on you. Like I've met, we've mentioned names on this podcast, which yeah. may be considered in the leadership development space to be celebrities, right? Mm-hmm. Because I, I say a name and you know who that person is. But that doesn't mean that they're excellent, right? It just means that they've been able to garner and leverage a lot of the algorithms to get attention. Now, and to be they, honest, not all of them. Like I didn't know all the people that you mentioned. So, right, which is exactly. a shock. Someone would be like, "What? You don't know who that is?" It, no. <laughs> well, and, and again, and, and, and right, yeah. and you're going to mention people that I may not know. Right, yeah. you're going to mention book authors that I may not know. You're going to mention, um, again, you're going to mention folks who may be doing a play on Instagram, or be doing a play on Facebook, or maybe doing a play on uh, TikTok that I'm not aware of. And so it's this, it's this dilution. But I think the, the the thing that we have that we've got to really get a hold of is, you know, if I have a hundred people watching my Snapchat videos about leadership, it's not enough for me to just continue to create content for them and let them passively consume that because my content may be excellent, but I need them to get in the game. I need them to mm-hmm. jump off the sidelines and get in the game. And the easiest way, obviously, in a capitalistic mindset culture is to give money. But that's not the biggest way to do it, right? And and so how do you do that? How do you encourage audiences to do that? How do you keep them engaged? This is all a massive challenge um, that I think uh, the long tail of the internet is at the beginning of solving as a problem rather than at the end. I think Bitcoin will go a long, long way in solving a lot of this. Um, and I'm not talking about Bitcoin in terms of the speculation and crypto winter that's happening now and any of that nonsense i'm not talking about that i'm talking about the concept of blockchain with bitcoin attached to it the concept of being able to pay kyla because she's doing good work and i like what she's doing but i don't have to pay her a hundred thousand dollars i can pay her something that is the equivalent of that and show my appreciation so um so yeah i mean i i think we're we're going to eventually combine technology together but we've got to get into this co-creation space because there's got to be some some way to measure excellence (laughs) Has to be some way. But measurement of excellence, that's that's a whole nother conversation, I think. Well, I feel I mean, like you know, excellence it, according excellence to gonna... your your audience, that's... not according to my audience. Yes. Like, excellence, excellence according, according to Kyla's to audience. <laughs> that's like that question of what is art? I mean, mm, uh, no. is this art? Uh, is that artistic? Well, is it to you? Like, because there are some things that I've seen that I was like, what is that? But there's yeah. other things that I've I've been in art galleries and couldn't move from my my feet couldn't move because I was so enamored with what I was looking at you know so Mm -hmm. there's um I think the beauty of humanity is that we all do have beauty in us and we're all different and how do you have billions I don't even know how many people are on this planet billions that seven billion the seven billion people that are just unique in our thoughts and our experiences and our demeanors and our character Mm -hmm. that's just a miracle and um and to be able to connect with one another in in ways that um that bring us together and that move humanity in a 
forward or move us to new spaces and to new ideas and new thoughts and um, inventions. And I just, I really think life is a miracle and it's beautiful and um, that, that we can even offer these little things and ways to connect with each other and yeah, co-create and, um, and, and work on things together. It's just, we'll never reach everybody. Right, <laughs> That's no. 7 billion people. No. You'll never reach everybody. But um, again, what is, what is excellence in your spirit and your, your space? It's um, what matters to you because what matters to me does not matter to my neighbor down the street. They right. do, they do not care. <laughs> they do not care about some things that are going on in my life. They will smile and nod and shake my hand, but they do not care. Yeah. And um, same goes the other way. Like oh, yeah. half, the, no, no. half the stuff they're ta- talking about. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Please. I live in, I live in a gated community. Half these people, please, I don't even know half these people. (laughs) And they don't know me, and it's fine. (laughs) It's it's fine. Um, But the other half I do know, and they do know me, and it's fine. And so so it it is, it's it's an interesting cyclical flow. And we have, I think we have to use our technology and tools to to get to that flow. So, well, we're at the (laughs) end of our conversation. So uh, (laughs) is there anything you'd like to promote on the podcast today? Is there anything you'd like to um, tell our listeners um, to to help you out with? And obviously, I mean, we'll have links to the Leadership School podcast in our show notes. Um, We'll have links to all the different places where you can get a hold of Kyla, all the places where she is at on the internet so that you can help her co-create a new form of leadership and help her collaborate in this uh, in this very challenging space um, as we move forward into the 21st century. Uh, But is there anything else you'd like to anything you'd like to promote? Yeah, well, I mean, if you made it this far, thank you for listening. And thank you so much, Hassan, for having me on your podcast and for coming twice onto Leadership School. It's just been so, it's just been real honor to get to know you and um, your intelligent wisdom. And I've been really grateful for that. So thank you. Um, you know, really just, I would love for people to listen to Leadership School podcast. You can find it on any platform, leadershipschoolpodcast.com. You can go to my website, kylacofer.com. And I really love speaking. I love it. And so if there is an event that you have, if there's a workshop you want, um, if you want Want to bring wellness, um, self-care, self-worth practices in leadership um, in your company or organization. I am here for that all the way. So I would love to hear from you and connect. There's our word connect, but leadership school podcast or kylacofer.com. Awesome. And we will have links to kylacofer.com. We will have links to leadership uh, school podcast uh, in the the show notes below the player um, of this podcast, both on YouTube and in your podcast player of choice. Once again, thank you, Kyla, for coming on to the show today. And we, uh, well, we we had a great time talking. So uh, I look forward to having you on again in the future. Thank you, Hassan, so much. Listen and subscribe to the Leadership Lessons from the Great Books podcast on all the major podcast players that you listen to podcasts on, including iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and even Spotify. And please leave a five-star review if you like the show. We need those reviews to grow, and it's the easiest way to make sure that this show gets into the ears of the leaders who need to hear it. And of course, tell all your friends. If you want to get started on the leadership path, HSCT Publishing's products and services can help your team do that. Check out our training webinars, coaching services, and more at leadershiptoolbox.us. We also have a video-based subscription service, that's software as a service, that can help your team become better at the individual level. 
60 modules on over 100 hours of video and written content for you at leadingkeys.com. That's leadingkeys.com. We've also got books that will help you and your team grow. Pick up a copy today of My Boss Doesn't Care, 100 Essays on Disrupting Your Workplace by Disrupting Your Boss, and subscribe to the Little Red Podcast I launched earlier this year with the same name as that Little Red Book. My most recent book is 12 Rules for Leaders, The Foundation of Intentional Leadership. Co-written with contributions from Bradley Madigan, this is the book for right now that was written for leaders right now. Pick up a copy by heading over to 12rulesleadersbook.com backslash now. That's 12rulesleadersbook.com backslash now. You pay for shipping, and you'll get a copy of my second book as well. Finally, you can get all these books in paperback, hardcover, or as ebooks on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and any other place online you order books. Finally, HSCT Publishing is on YouTube. Like and subscribe to the video version of the Leadership Lessons for the Great Books podcast on the HSCT Publishing channel on YouTube. Just search for HSCT Publishing and hit the subscribe button. You'll get our weekly video updates, which is the video version of this podcast. And, of course, you're going to want to subscribe to my other podcast. That's right, I do do more than one. The Hayson Sorrells Presents Audio Experience, where I talk more casually with a broader range of people about all matters that matter in the world today, from arts all the way to analytics. All right, that's it for me.